be excited about the Amen. Yeah. Man, yeah. that helped me out a ton. That's where I need mean. uh, Let me go ahead. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 1 as we're starting today. I want you guys to go ahead and turn there. Um, I, I don't normally do this, but I got a title for my lesson. I'm going to give it a shot. See how it goes. <laughs> the title is called, Who Are You? Oh, nice. Who Are You? I think I think we as people, as a, I, I would be tempted to say as a culture, but I really think it transcends who we are today right now. I think we are obsessed with who we are. Fundamental question, who am I? And, and how does that question relate to how I interact with the world? Who am I? What, what do I do here? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Who am I? I think we're obsessed with that question. I, I think today we have a, almost an idolatry of, of identity. We're just obsessed with trying to define what that is. And, and I think, look, here's the thing. God designed you for a specific reason. And all over the Bible, he tries to tell us who we are. And I think when we try to operate outside of that design, man, we just feel off. We feel off. And so my hope today, I just want to, that's, that's it. That's the point. Who are you? And I want us to try to go to God to find an answer for that. Because I think there's a lot of things in the world trying to tell you how to answer that question. There's a lot. There's a lot of noise about that. So we're going to start just chapter one. Before we do, I just want to say a prayer. Okay? God, thank you for bringing us together this morning. It really is a gift. Thank you for the gift of church, family, fellowship. We cannot do this without each other. As we talked about last week, God, we are designed for one another. Uh, we are meant to be zealous for each other. Uh, we just need this. I pray we, we can just be open to your spirit working in us today. We can listen to this, this scripture. It's not necessarily my words, but God, can we just pull something out of these scriptures, out of your word? It's just going to anchor us in who we are. So we love and we're grateful for you. Please be with us. Proud your son's name. Amen. I'm going to start in Genesis because it, we're going to see we're created very intentionally. You are not an accident. Despite whatever circumstances surrounded your birth, God created you, created us together as mankind. Uh, so th this is, you know, of course, probably you're familiar in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And the, the chapter one recounts the, the creation, uh, what, what's going on. And, you know, on the last day of creation, God creates mankind. It's the crown jewel of creation almost to, to well, let's just read it. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We're just going to stop there. So God says, well, we'll make man in our image. Don't be freaked out by that hour. I mean, really, probably what's going on there is he's talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's all over the Bible that they were both present during the creation and everything. Everything's created through Jesus. So just read that as Jesus and the Spirit. It would be a good idea. So let us create in our image. Let's create Man, okay? Now, when he says man, he's referring to both man and woman. Man and son. That's what he's saying. And, and you see here, there's a design behind your creation. We want man to have dominion. We want man to be in, in our image. To, to steward this, to work with this, to, to help this thing that we've created. We put them on here to reflect ourselves onto this creation. Okay? So it's, it's not for nothing that we're here. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so, so this, 
being created in the image of God. This is a fascinating concept, man. I just think something we could sink our teeth into for a long time. That God created you, male, female, man, woman, in the image of God. His likeness to reflect that likeness onto creation. All right? So this idea of being image bearers, like there's a weight to that. We're designed to be him as image bearers on earth, right? On the worlds. That's what you're created for. I won't read all through Genesis, but, but what happens is the fall of sin enters into the world, right? And the, the sin, sin enters into the world, into our life, and starts to corrupt that image, that amazing design of us to be God's image bears. That sin comes in and starts corrupting that image. So part of that fall was our, who we are as image bearers of God is being corrupted into something else. And, and, and as we look, it, you just scan across the, the grand story of the Bible, Jesus comes in to bring us into a new creation, to give us a chance to, to be reconciled. It's coming together. It's a repairing of relationship. That word reconciled, coming together with God. And part of that reconciliation, part of that repairing of our relationship with God and being in Christ is repairing our image bearer status. Reclaiming our identity and design as image bearers. Right, so sin comes in and it messes that up. It's a, we're, what I want to do today is I want to read in 1 Peter chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there. And we're just going to spend some time here. Because I think there's a lot of places you could go to answer the question, who are you? There's a lot of places you can go in the Bible, but I've been reading 1 Peter in chapter 2, man. It's just saw something incredible. I saw, I saw chapter 2, verse 9. But we're going to read uh, starting in verse 4. But we'll get to verse 9. Peter gives his readers... Six dimensions of identity. Six ways to think about who they are and how to answer that question. That's incredible. Let's start in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Okay, so let's stop right there. In 1 Peter, He's, he's written this letter to what he calls elect who are who have, who have are exiles in the dispersion. Okay. Basically, it, Christians who have been scattered because of hardship. And he's writing to them, trying to encourage them, hold them together. And all chapter one, he's just trying to orient them in their like their place being in the gospel and how beautiful it is that they have a relationship with Jesus. And he gets to chapter two, and what he's trying to do is, man, they're scattered, okay? They've been persecuted. They're, they're like, man, what do we do? Where do we go? What, how do we pull this thing together? And he gives them this to start pulling them together as a people, who they are. So then you guys are, are living stones of the household of God. Last week, you guys, man, loved last week. We got to talk about the value, man, Jeremiah 29, we got to talk about the value of just investing Right, of having families, building homes, seeking the welfare of the city, what it really means to be invested. And we took that to John 2 and talked about man, Jesus and his zeal for the household of God and how now we, if we're going to follow Jesus in that zeal, then that means being zealous about each other in this room, that now we are the household of God. She had an incredible, incredible time talking about that with people after the service last week. And so he's like 
I, I wanted to build off of that idea because here's what he's doing. He said, okay, you guys are the, you're the household of God. You're living stones being built up together. He's trying to orient them. This is who you are. This is who you are. So he goes on. He says, uh, this is for those of you that believe. So, verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. So he's starting to set up a contrast. There's those that have rejected the cornerstone, who are not going to model themselves after that cornerstone, be built up in that. They've rejected, they disobey the word. You guys choose to obey the word, or obey it, they choose to disobey. So he's setting up this contrast. He's saying, for, but for those of you that do obey, here it is. It's verse 9. Six different dimensions for how to think about who you are. Peter, if you have ever had that question, man, who am I? What is this about? Peter gives six answers to that question in one verse. All right, so let's read that. Verse 9. But you, okay, you are. This is how he's starting this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You could probably divide this up in a few different ways than how I've done it, but I've, I've done it in six different ways. And really, got, what we're going to do for our time today, we're just going to go through those six. Okay, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on some than others, but I just want to run through this because I want to give you guys an answer to the question, who are you? That's awesome. Right, that's what we do with these. So let's, let's go back to the very beginning. Who are you? The first answer to that question, a chosen race. You are, who are you? You are chosen. God, God looked out and he has chosen you to bring you into the I mean, over and over in the Bible, it's made clear that God chooses you. You don't choose him. Mm -hmm. right, I want to read Isaiah 43, starting in verse 1. You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 4. Since you are pressured and honored, honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I'll bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I think sometimes we intellectually understand that God loves us. But if we're being honest, we probably don't feel like that all the time. We're like, yeah, okay, sure, God loves me, but I just don't think he likes me very much. Right? There's, there's, there can be a disconnect there. And then this is him talking to the Israelites. He's like, man, you guys don't get it. You're precious to me. You are honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people up for you. I'll give nations in exchange for you. Okay, that's talking to the Israelites, but guess, guess who he gave up for us? Christians today. Jesus. His only son, he gave up for us because he loves us. Because he created us for his glory. He formed us. He made us. It's his will to do this. 
I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Okay? As before the creation of the world, he chose you to come to him to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For, you know, during, you know when during creation? That can feel like, man, that's so long ago. What is that? What does that even mean? At that time, reading creation, God is thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about how he's predestined you to be adopted into sonship through Christ. Look, we can get this idea in our head that somehow Christ was plan B, right? That plan A was Israelites. God was like, well, this isn't working out. Jesus like, send me down there, God. I'll fix it. Like, no, no, from the beginning, the plan was Jesus. The plan was to adopt us. But you ever think about it? In John chapter 1, when John is giving his introduction to who Jesus is, it's crazy. John doesn't mention the cross. It's really interesting. But he does mention those who did receive him. He gave them the right to become children of God. He's getting to the heart of why the cross even happened was so that we could have this relationship with as he chose us for this. It's an incredible, incredible idea. That's very intentional. And I just, at the end of, of verse 5 in Ephesians 3, he says that he did this in accordance to his pleasure and to his will. Right? It wasn't some begrudging thing. Like, I was like, fine, I'll say it. No, like, he pleased him to do it. It was according to his pleasure and will. He wanted to do it. Who are you? You are chosen. Second thing, the royal priesthood. Who are you? You are in the ministry. There's a weird thing that's happened where, where there's kind of this delineation. Okay? There's leadership up here, and, and the, the lay person, just the regular person down here. They, they're not quite the same. Okay, yeah, in the New Testament, there's clear positions of shepherding authority. Uh, there's, there's evangelist, there's teacher, there's elder, there's shepherd, prophet. There are all these positions of leadership, that, that maybe even the Bible would say even has a primary responsibility and there's a little more weight, but that doesn't mean that we, we all have the same mission. We all have the same ministry. This is Second this is Second Corinthians chapter 5. I actually want to go to this one again. I want to spend just a little more time here. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 5. What, Daniel? So who are you? You are in, you're chosen, you are in the ministry. Every single one of us, we have the ministry. You may not think of it like this. Like, well, I'm not full-time. Those weird guys, they're full-time. But, no, but we are all in the ministry. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. You got, I, I preach this one nonstop. I'm really tired of it. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So he, what's he doing here? He's preaching the gospel. And he's like, look, man, the love of Christ, if I can see it on the cross, man, that, that is what drives it. That is what moves you. That's what grips you at the end of the day. When, man, when, the, when the gospel grips you, man, you're different. You're changed. That does something on a heart level. We're talking in, inside-out transformation. Right, man, you experience something in here. Your heart gets worked on, renovated by the by Jesus on the cross for you. Man, that produces something in you. And he says, what that does is that compels us, man, that we live for him. So we're convinced so that we become these living sacrifices. I know we talked a little bit about that. That we now live for him, not for us. 
Okay, so what's part of this? That, that's something we're going to get back to that later. Because, uh, man, we are his, not ours. We're his, not ours. But we'll get back to that. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Then we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So how does he build off this, this idea that we are compelled by the love of Christ? He said, look, man, God worked all this, and he designed all this, that we could be reconciled to him through Jesus. Again, the word reconciled, it's a reparation of relationships that, man, once we were not a people of God, once we, he said, look, once we regarded Christ in a worldly way, I used to regard Christ in a worldly way. I used to look at Christians, I used to look at people singing, and I'm like, that's weirdos, man. The first time I ever came out to church, I was like, this is weird. They're trying to hug me, and they're singing songs, and man, I'm just here because I like a girl. I'm not really even that invested about it. I looked at Christ in a worldly way, but man, something happens. Christ gets a hold of your, your heart. You are something new after that. It's a new creation. God is doing something new in you. So that compels you, that moves you. So that same reconciliation that he does for us on an individual level, he's like, look, now you guys are given that ministry of reconciliation. You are to administer reconciliation between men, and every single one of us has the ministry of reconciliation. So who are you? You're a minister. You're in the ministry. You're chosen, and you're a minister of reconciliation. Okay. That's uh, the third thing. You are a holy nation. You're a distinct people. The, the, the word holy in the New Testament tenet, it has two meanings depending on the Greek word that's being used to use the word holy. One of them is like this moral righteousness, okay? The other one is, the, and the one we're dealing with here, is it's set apart. It's holy. It's consecrated. It's the word they would use for something that was meant for like worship in the temple. It's like, man, this thing is holy. You don't use this for other things. This is meant for this specific. It's set aside for worship of this thing. That's what this is saying. We are a set-apart, set-aside people. We're distinct. We should look different. We should strive to, to be different. And like So the, what can happen is culture can kind of press on the, the, the church and, and its influence, and it can just kind of feel tight, and then you can start doing things like, okay, if we look more like the culture, this will be good. We can kind of appeal more to people, but it rather should be the, the other way around, that through being compelled by Christ because you're chosen and because, man, you, we are called into the ministry that we start to press out onto the world, that we are compelled to live for him in that new way, that new life, man, where we become a new creation. We start repenting of sins. We start confessing of sins that are in our life. We start living differently that presses on the world around us. We're not meant to be insular as a nation, but a nation is a light to the world. You're distinct people. So who are you chosen to minister? You're of a distinct Right, because we can tend to think about who we are as a really kind of individual thing. And I, and I like that Peter doesn't, doesn't let it linger there. It's like, no, who you are is part of something else. We tend to think very individualistically about who am I as a person. But, but God's part of your idea of who you are, and God is going to be about a people. Right. That's really, that's, that's important. Okay, next. You're a people for his own possession. You belong to God. If you are in Christ, if you are the elect man, if you if you are a disciple of Jesus, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. You're not yours, you're his. That might sound weird at first. It did to me. Intrinsically, I'm a controlling, prideful, self-righteous person. Okay, I want to do things my way. I want to live the life, life the way I think I should live it. 
I think I've got the best idea in the room. I think I'm the one that knows what's right. Just ask Stacy. I think that I, in my core person, self-righteous, controlling, want it my way. And so this idea does not sit well with me. It doesn't. I hear that. You're like, what do you mean? I, I'm mine. What are you talking about? I'm for me. I know me. I know what's right. Peter says, no. Actually, don't. It's one of the craziest breakthroughs I ever had. Becoming a Christian. Realizing, wait a minute. Maybe maybe God knows a little bit more than me. Maybe God knows, maybe God knows better than I know God. Maybe because he created all this, he knows how it's supposed to work. And I just need to submit and be humble. Okay, God, I'm yours. Tell me it's challenging. On verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. How often do we think about that, man? How am I honoring God with my body today? Because this is not mine. Made by God. Made for God to house the Spirit of God to reflect the image of God. Say mine. Say mine. Okay. We'll keep going. The next thing we are, the verse goes on, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. What are you? You are called. You're called. All right, you're called uh, not just out of something. All right, because I, I think we kind of get that idea. We're called out of sin. We're called to be different. We're called to repent. We're called, we're called to be out of the world, in the world, but, but not part of the world. We're called, we're called out of something. But we often forget that not only are we called out of a place, we're, all, we're also called into a place. We're called out of darkness, out of sin, out, out of all that, into this marvelous life. So not only are you called out, you are called in. His light, into his family, into his ministry, into his uh, glory, into his grace, into his joy. You're called out of something to be something else. He says, John 10, 10, that I came so that you may have a life and have it to the full. If you want to have a fullness of life, it's not just getting out of things. It's also getting into his life. All right? So you are called, called out, called in. He also says in this, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. In his marvelous life. Why are we part of his own possession? It kind of ties back into the last thing. That's, so you, if you probably delineate these things in different ways. It's just how I've done it. But we're people of his possession so that we can proclaim how amazing it is that we've been called out of his darkness and into his light. So that's one thing. You'll add that. Why are you his? So you can proclaim how amazing he is. Proclaim his excellencies. Preach, herald. It's that word, proclaim. It's being outspoken about how amazing God is in your life. And so here's the thing. You can't really do that if you're not in touch with how amazing God is in your life. You can't proclaim how amazing he is. And if you don't get the, the darkness, he's called you out of if you're not If you're not being sober-minded about the, the, the horror of sin in your life and the effect it has on you, if you're not grasping the severity of that, how can you possibly explain how amazing it is that he's calling you out of it from somebody else? I've said it over and over again. You cannot understand good news if you don't understand bad news. It's the, it's the bad news that makes the good news good. We must take sin seriously in our life. Let me see how amazing it is that God, God reached down into that sinful life. It's like, man, I'm calling you to something else. I'm calling you something beautiful. To your cause. Your sin. I've lumped this all into one, but again, you know, write it down. I bet you think it makes sense. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, we talked about being a people of God. We talked about being a chosen priesthood, a holy nation. We talked about that. Let's talk about mercy. That either you're in God's mercy or you're not. Once you didn't have mercy, but now you do. That's what Peter's saying. It's really tempting to think, man, I've got so gray area I can walk in. You're not in God. Either you're in his mercy or you're not. That's a good reality to reckon with. The, the bad news of it is, is maybe you're not in God's mercy. The good news is, man, if you are, too, you're in God's mercy. Right? So again, you just understand the bad news is you probably should do this. Amen? Okay. All right. I want to do this. I'm going to end with Luke chapter 14. Come on, Daniel. Come on, Daniel. I want to end with Luke chapter 14. Probably my favorite scripture on discipleship. For Jesus is defining what it looks like to follow him. Probably my favorite. Um, I'm, I'm just, we're going to go through the whole thing. So just, let's, you know, buckle in. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied them. And he turned and he said to them, If anybody comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is being very clear here. You want to follow me? You want to be a disciple of mine? Which, again, disciple Christian, same word, just different, right? If you want to be a Christian, that's what he's saying. Man, you hate father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, your own life. But let's make sense of that real quick because usually people get stuck on the word hate. Uh, okay, so in Matthew, he gives the exact same teaching. Here's how he words it there. He says, those who do not love me more than... Jesus, okay, that's the point he's trying to get across. And if, if we're being honest, if we're going to love God more than these relationships, sometimes it's, it's going to look like from the outside that we hate those people. But no, we're just loving God more than these people. Here's the beautiful thing about this: if you love, look, if I love God more than Stacy, I will end up loving Stacy way more than I could without God. Not loving God more. Okay, so that, there's something beautiful underneath that, but at the end of the day, that we live to please him more than anybody else. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid his foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it begin to mock him. Saying this, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, let me just summarize what we just read. One, he's talking about a concept that we call counting the cops. That you sit down and consider what does it really mean to follow him. This appealed a lot to me. Okay, because I, that was a logical thinking person. Remember when I was an atheist studying the Bible, it made sense to me. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, you don't just follow Jesus on a whim. Like you actually, he actually wants you to think about it. Right. What's it gonna mean to actually follow me? What's that what is what is it actually gonna cost you to follow? That's stuff we gotta consider and sometimes continue to consider. Right, man, what's it gonna take? What do I need to lay down? So I can, Follow him. The next thing he says after that, he gives this, this illustration of, of two kings going to war. 
It's not a trick question. One is going to mow the other one down. That's the point of the numbers. One will mow the other one down. It's got no chance of winning, okay? And he says, when that when that king is going to get mowed down, gets he's going to get mowed down, he's like, yo, what can we do to stop this, all right? Uh, let's go to delegate. What are, the, what are the terms of peace? In that scenario, the one who's going to get utterly destroyed has zero bargaining chips, none. Either they agree to the, the, the king who's going to kill him, either, either he agrees to that, or that's it, he's done. In this illustration, uh, which can you read? The one that's going to lose. All right, the one that's going to lose. And so we go to God. So maybe we have to talk about that. We go to God and we just ask God, what is it going to take to follow you? What is, what is it going to look like? We just humbly submit to him. That may sound scary at first, but not when you remember John 10.10, 10, that whatever he's going to ask you to do is for the fullness of life. You see the life of the full. And so that when, when it comes to following Jesus, we approach that table with just God, whatever you want, whatever you say this is going to look like, I am yours, okay? You just tell me what that's going to do. That's going to be I'm going to do it. That's the heart we approach God with following Jesus. That's how we do it. Okay, he, end, he ends it out with this. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how should its saltiness be restored? If it's of no use... Oh, it, it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But if you live like this, this disciple, that's going to look different. Okay? If, if you're going to love God more than any other relationship in your life, if you've really sat down and considered what does this mean to follow him, if you're like, you know, I'm going to do it totally his way, not my way, man. I'm in it for him, not me. Man, that is a different looking person. Guys, I could tell as I was learning the Bible. I could tell, man, people living like this, that's different than other people I've seen on themselves Christians. Well, in my mind, luckily, it was incredible. And now these people I was working with, they weren't perfect. They weren't like these holier than thou people. They were honest. They were real. They were genuinely trying to do something. Apologizing for when they didn't, apologizing for when they were sent, genuinely trying to do something. It's incredible. This looks different. When we operate outside of the design of how God designed us to be, what's it, what's it good for? And then this salt who loses its saltiness, what's the point? Salt is used to preserve food, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're putting some grains of salt on a piece of food that have no saltiness, that will not actually preserve the food, what is the point of putting the salt on the food? <laughs> it's not going to preserve it. It's not going to give it any flavor. It's, it's useless. It's worth, it's worth nothing. I thought about bringing in food, but we can't do it here. I wanted to bring in a plate, right? Have a big thing of salt and say, imagine the salt has no saltiness. Pouring it over the food. What is it doing to the food? The answer is nothing. It's nothing. This ties back into, guys, what I've been trying to work on together is a group. It doesn't matter the size of the room. If, if it's two people, if it's 20 people, if it's 100 people, if there's no salt in, in you as a Christian, as a disciple, it's not worth anything. It doesn't matter if you have a 1,000, no matter how many grains of salt you keep putting on a thing, if there's no salt in you, it's not worth anything. It's not. Mm -hmm. But when we operate within the design of who God made us to be, and there's something in it. It does something. So I want us to summarize. Who are you? According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it shows you. You're in the ministry. You are a distinct people. You belong to God. You are called to something. You have received mercy. 
this is who you are if you're in Christ. He even gives us six different ways, but again, just the way I broke it down, six different ways to how to view who we are. So if you're struggling with that question, we're here. Think about, is, is this how I'm living? Am I trying to live as this? Is this what I'm trying to define myself as? Are these the parameters I'm trying to give myself for how to live, who I am, and how I interact with the world? Because if we if we get outside of those design guys, we just, it's, it's salt without saltiness. And if we're honest, I think we can feel it. And things just feel off when you operate outside of the design that God made you to So bring this all back to, to Genesis chapter 1. May God created you in his image for a reason to be his image. Let's operate within that design and make part of our walk with Jesus, reclaiming that identity in him, not finding it in all these other things. The Lord wants us to find but finding it in him. Amen? Amen. I'll pray this out. God, thank you so much just for giving us your word. I pray that we can wrestle to find identity in you. As people who are chosen, as a people who are in ministry, we are a royal priesthood. We are all in this together, in the ministry, to operate as priests under the covenant of Christ, reconciling people to him through his grace and mercy through the cross. We are chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We're distinct. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be different. We're yours. We belong to you. We don't belong to us. We're yours. I help, help us have that, that, that humble heart to say, God, you tell me. Let's do this. I trust you. I trust you to lead me to a fuller life. I trust you to show me what it's like to, to love you, to follow you, to love the world. God, if, if we do that, we can proclaim how amazing you are. What you called us out of and called us into, and how incredible it is that we are a people with mercy. Mm-hmm. God, if, we're, if we don't know about that, I pray that we can just, let's just ask questions like, hey, I, I don't know, am I? Like, let's just study this out together. Am I? God, are we in you? We have more mercy. Help us walk in your design for life, God, mm-hmm. and not ours. Help us to go to you to figure out who are we. Mm-hmm. And I love that Peter in just one verse gave us six different things to consider. God, help us consider these things when we think about you. We love you. We thank you. For all this in Son's name. Amen. Okay, thank you guys.
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Um, the point that Daniel made about being uh, designed by God, it's image bearers of God, being designed for, for worship and following God. It's very applicable here, right? If you consider spiritually, we need Jesus to survive, right? It's this idea of sustenance, of food and drink. Um, you know, you can tell when you're starving, or when you're really hungry at least, and you can tell when you're thirsty. You know, when I've been up in a hot attic in mid-July, and I start, like, getting dizzy and, and getting near blackout, you know, I can tell. You know, you can tell when you're dehydrated. Can you tell when you're spiritually starving? Can you tell when you're spiritually dehydrated? You know what I mean? Um, you can tell. There's some signs, right? Maybe you start to feel distant from people. Maybe you start feeling like, oh, man, I don't really want to come today. You know, there's some there's some signs you can feel when you're getting uh, when you're not getting the sustenance you need uh, for your faith. You know, when you get far enough along, you're not eating and drinking, you're gonna die, right? Yeah. When you get far enough along spiritually, not eating and drinking from Jesus, not being sustained by Jesus, you'll die spiritually. I mean, that's just a fact. So the thing to think about um, when you're going in, when we're going into communion, right, is we do this every week uh, because it's so necessary. Food and drink is so necessary for sustaining yourselves. When you're going into communion, you think about what you need spiritually. How can I connect with Jesus? How can I get the sustenance that I need to support my faith? Um, before I continue, uh, Nancy has something my name is Nancy, and this is my husband, Robert. We moved uh, uh, from China like six years ago. This is our first, uh, like, fresh, my fresh off the boat presentation in the United States. And uh, uh, we moved with my young, uh, oldest son. He was only six months old. And right now we have uh, six, years, uh, six years old and four years old mm-hmm. boys. Um, and uh, we've been in this church for six years. And uh, um, I, we, um, it's just, uh, um, I'm just so grateful um, to uh, to be here and uh, with the church, how much this church nutrition our family. And uh, I remember when we first uh, moved here from China with two suitcases and we didn't have a place and uh, we, <laughs> um, like Stephanie, uh, she gave us plates and the bed sheets, everything. And I also remember um, the first year we couldn't afford to go to the marriage retreat and how much church support us. And, and I remember the first year we couldn't afford um, um, Valentine's dinner. Someone secretly paid off our dinner. Mm. And uh, today we're sitting here um, 
we have jobs and we have our house. I'm not saying how much we accomplish. I'm just saying this house is a place you raise up your kids and nurturing family. Um, I feel uh, my family feels very supported and loved. Um, we come from China and our ministry was very different there and how this church operate is also different. And uh, this church gives us lots of praise and support. And I feel personally my spiritual is healing here. And uh, whenever I ask for help, no one says no in this church. And I don't remember how many male traits, traits a woman like whoever has baby or just get married, people sign up, male trains. Um, and we receive that, and also other people receive. Um, sometimes I'm thinking, um, I always sign up male trains because uh, I was thinking, that, oh, I don't have time, but that at least I can make a male. <laughs> and I always sign up, and sometimes I'm thinking, um, the people I sign up maybe don't even remember who I am, mm -hmm. like most of the uh, disciples in this church. Maybe I didn't say thank you to every single of you, and maybe maybe I need to ask forgiveness for something I say or say it hears us. But it doesn't matter. It's between you and God. Um, mm -hmm. And I I really like the uh, uh, like Mother Teresa's quote. Maybe you heard many times. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll read it one more time. Um, so this is from Mother Teresa. It says, people are often uh, unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse of your alternate motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat on you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, People may be jealous, be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good, give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Dear God, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we can come before you and connect to you. Thank you for your sustenance and your faith, God. We know that we need you. We know that we need you to grow. We know that we need you to change. We know that we need you to love and uh, to build family. Um, God, uh, just uh, come and be with us, God. Help us to uh, sustain ourselves through you. Uh, God, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.